Hello and welcome back to Lamniforms Radio. My name is Ian Corey. I am the singer and songwriter in the band Lamniforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. A few months back, my longtime friend and former roommate Preston Walner reached out to me about scoring a shadow puppet show that he was going to put on in the long-standing Brooklyn Institution Puppet Works in Park Slope, where we happen to have both grown up. Having, as a child, been terrified by the performances at Puppet Works, I relished the opportunity to return the favor to the next generation. So I worked for about a month on a score of music for this horror-themed puppet show to be performed during the weekends leading up to Halloween. Since that time has now passed, I figured it would be a good idea to talk to Preston about his artistic journey that led him to this moment where he created the Maurice Bouteau Shadow Show, as well as our intertwining artistic histories and the process that uh, we both undertook to make the, the show happen. I was very proud with the music that we came up with. Uh, you're hearing it in the background of this very introduction, and you'll hear it again at the end of the episode. And I've always loved talking to Preston about art, music, film, whatever comes up. He's he's an incredibly good uh, conversationalist. He's, he's a thoughtful guy, and I have long wanted to have an excuse to have him on this podcast. So I'm thankful for him reaching out to me and asking me to write this music and for then coming on the podcast to talk about his personal history, the shadow show, and much, much more. We really had a blast in this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it as well. anything i can do to kind of to, to that is bad to this microphone uh damage it yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess there's a lot of bad things i could do to him yeah okay yeah. i mean other than uh the, the malicious i mean like how close should it be to my mouth like this close um no? yeah i i have it as uh kind of a low input just because it gives me a lot of headroom to then crank it internally yeah yeah and if the mics are too hot they end up picking up all sorts of other shit yeah whereas uh if they pick up just the thing that's going right into them or voices yeah then uh i can crank it on the internal sure machine and yeah and that's yeah i just get so close that it picks up my my post-nasal drip <laughs> that I experienced. <laughs> it gives a character. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's a weird character. Yeah, uh, this is the first time I've done this in person since the last time we did this. Oh my God. Oh um, my God, that's crazy. Yeah, the, the, the lost episode of Lamb Forms. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, we knew it would be when it, we embarked on right. it. <laughs> some, some missions are meant to uh, to end in failure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A beautiful failure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the... 
I'm going to be taking a slightly different tact here because there wasn't really any introduction for who you were in that other recording. It was just like, here's my friend. We're going to talk about talking for an hour straight and see if it's even remotely listenable. Yeah. Um, So for this one, I feel like just, just so that you kind of have context for where I'm coming from. I haven't been doing this podcast for a minute uh, because of job stuff and uh, a series of like not being able to really nail down the guests that I want. And then it just kind of like a bunch of small things kind of snowballed to the point where it's like, I don't want to like crap out. Yeah. Ian ranting into a mic for, you know, an hour straight or <laughs> yeah. like 20 minutes. They always ended up being 20 minutes long, ex- like almost exactly. It's oh. like um, part of my brain just has like a timer that's like, you've been talking for 20 minutes straight. Time to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to have. Who knew that would help you in, in radio or podcasting? <laughs> you know, it's just like. <laughs> I think it, it, it ultimately hurts me, but oh, uh, okay. it helps me. It hurts the podcast. Let's uh. put it <laughs> Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of starting from the ground up again is the way I'm looking at it. Um, and I figured the best way to do that is to kind of like have a conversation with someone that I've started from the ground up with. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? Oh yeah. No. To- oh wow. Yeah. I, I get your, I get your, we were, but, but, but little sprouts the, when we first started <laughs> right, yeah. this endeavor of life. Yeah. No, I mean that, yeah, that's great. I would be happy to help you get back on the get back on the track and stuff sure so speaking of which uh mm-hmm. getting onto the track that has led us to this particular point might yeah be necessary so you know it's funny having known you for this long i've seen a lot of phases of your art practice that i don't know how particularly relevant they are to the thing that you do now but yeah. i would like to sort of find out where one led to another and how we got to this point. Yeah. So I remember you first as some, like a friend who drew. Yeah. You know, (laughs) yeah. During like the period of time where it's like, there were those that draw. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. That, that is, I think that's, that's where I broke out, where I broke into the, the, the realm of skills that identify you as a person. It's Mm -hmm. like, you're the drawing guy. And I, I never thought I would be the drawing guy ever because I I really just hate it. You hate drawing. <laughs> I mean, now now it's kind of like an old friend or I should say like a, an, a, 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 an abusive sensei who, you know, like like whose whose wisdom has finally come like born fruit. Sure. You yeah. know, it's sort of like, well, I owe him everything, you know, but uh, but like, you know, my foot still doesn't doesn't still hurts when it's cold or whatever you know <laughs> right yeah you can punch through the the coffin i can punch through the coffin yeah you did get put in the coffin i have been put in the coffin yeah <laughs> that's right it wasn't fun um no because it was like yeah because it was like a it was a, a part of learning disabilities and and ha- being so uncomfortable with handwriting you ah. know so it was like initially it was that i sculpted with wire and like was really into that and I loved it. And I was mm-hmm. like, I think I can be this artist thing. I think I can do this. And, um, and then it became time to apply to, uh, high school. And then it was like our specialized high school programs. And it was like, you're going to need to learn to draw. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh 
shit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> you so mean, you were doing the, the wire sculptures before you started drawing? Am I misremembering yes, these things? No, that's true. Interesting. That's true. How did you first start doing that? Like, I, I, I'm not really sure. I think that there were probably some signs, and I think my mom was hyper attuned to it. Like, my parents were definitely, like, looking for anything you know, that like, I mean, it's kind of that sort of a thing where it's like uh, when your kid's having trouble in school, like you can praise them as much as you want, but they're going to have to, you know, it wasn't karate. I'll say that <laughs> it was I wasn't getting self-esteem from karate. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't and it wasn't school. And so my parents like just put a, a variety of different things in my hands um, and honed in on this wire thing. I think someone my mom said that she, she gave me a piece of wire and I was just like, and that is like how it feels. It feels like just a sort of dialing in like, uh, like drawing definitely takes more of a practice of like compromise and like sort of, uh, I ha I've had to tune my like, a, or find a sensibility in it, but, um, sculpting in space, it's like, I can, you know, I feel very, I feel unlimited in that, hmm. you know? There's, I think there's somewhat of the the practical element of, you know, if you have a wire, you can twist it and untwist it. Yes. Whereas with drawing, you have to draw and then erase, right, which is yeah. not quite the same thing. Not quite the same <laughs> thing, no. It's not. It's sort of like you're starting over in a sense, you know, right, yeah. or maybe even messing every chance you have, you messing up this fragile, this fragile illusion that you've created. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah. That's how I saw it then. Now I now I think of drawing as very freeing, like hmm. uh, just mark making. And as a matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned erasing because erasing became more of how I drew than with with um, with actual intentional mark making. Because I would always I I and, and I ended up looking at it as like uh, a reductive medium, which is that you would you would draw all this all this stuff and make like a mass of of um, of charcoal and then you just erase into it and find and find shape. So it was kind uh -huh. of like, yeah, like so you turned drawing into sculpting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it worked best for me that way. Right. It was kind of like I was, I, I was doing so much erasing anyway. <laughs> you might as well start with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like with musicians, particularly drummers, there's this kind of like very, often repeated cliche although i guess it can't really be a cliche if it's not often repeated yeah that's just an entry point but yeah. that's fine <laughs> yeah i know um, what you mean yeah of uh you know like the oh so and so they started like banging on pots and pans at age three and stuff like that and there's right. these kind of like archetypical like this person is meant to do this thing exactly kind of thing I, th I think our parents are also looking for that because of that stereotype right you know yeah yeah but before being presented with the the box of you know life path options and choosing twisting wires uh, did you did you conceive of yourself as having like uh inclinations towards art in any way or do you feel like that's like maybe too young to even no, 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 no. That's a really good question, man. You're, you're cutting, you're cutting in deep. We're going all the way to this, all the way to the source here. I feel yeah, like, yeah. no, totally. I think, no, I, I think that, I think that's absolutely true. Is that like the, is that there was an impetus that is, I mean, there was a, there was, it originates from an earlier point, which was a, something that maybe you identify with to a certain extent, because I feel like we both had very active imaginations growing up and I, mm -hmm. and I, 
I know that about you from growing up with you, right? <laughs> yeah, so, and, and vice versa. Yeah, right. exactly. But like, I think that the big problem I had, which I think all of us run into, is uh, getting getting those ideas that are inside your head on out into the world and like yeah. making something of them so you can build off of it. Um, it's very difficult. Uh, I think it's difficult to break ground on that. But like, I think, I think for me though, actually, uh, toys were really, really helpful for that. Sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, that's kind of like my, when, if we mention the, uh, the long history of the two of us understanding that the other one also has an overactive imagination, yeah. it comes from fucking around with toys. Yes. You know? Yes. And developing uh, a taste for the design of particular toys and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, like when we grew up in Park Slope, there were a variety of different toy stores kind of all along 7th Avenue. Yeah. Um, the most uh, terrifying and mm. therefore interesting being Comics Plus. Comics Plus. Which I think is like, if not in the same building as where Game Lab is now, it's like, you know, a stone yeah. throw away. <laughs> oh my God, you're absolutely right. It was either, yes, yeah, so, so yes. The game game lab now the after school program for indoor kids actually is I mean it's either that exact storefront or it's the real estate office right next to it yes. that was Comics Plus which was also a place for indoor kids and scare or t- intimidating older brothers right. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> like it was the nineties so yeah. there's a a particular type of guy that I just don't think exists in the same way anymore. Mm. I do think the zoomers have sort of brought the, uh, the eraser shadings of this man back into the world. (laughs) Um, but there's just like, maybe, I don't know. I would, I would love if anyone younger than us is listening to this podcast to report back of like what, 2000s scary older brother and like 2010s scary older brother is like what does he look like now i i remember him having something that approaches a mullet but is just maybe just sort of long scraggly hair and uh and like maybe like loose fitting flannel Mm -hmm. and um and listens to eminem Honestly, that was one big thing. It's just sort of like the kids who listened to Eminem and were terrifying. It's terrifying <laughs> in that way. But yeah, the, yeah to me, they're anyway. like the, the, the one level older who like wore like Danzig shirts. Yeah. You know, like that kind of guy. Yeah. That populated comics plus where you could get your comics and your plus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for us, the plus mostly involved toys. Yes. Um, yes. And they were scary. Spawn. Um, alien. Alien. Spawn an alien yeah. <laughs> and predator right. and predator and maybe he man, but I don't, or oh, in some, I, in some Ninja Turtles stuff, but Rob Whitfield designed X-Men. Yeah. Yes. X-Men. Ah, oh, yeah. Really deep worlds that people had like really di- dove into and were pursuing with adult, with adult interest, right. you know, and probably some sexy ones somewhere, somewhere in the corner, somewhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we go in there with different eyes, and you probably see that. But I probably see comics plus very differently. Yeah. Now. yeah. <laughs> um, right. So that was no. Those toys were very, um, very rich detail wise. They were also like a very interesting tactile experience. I feel mm-hmm. like you could, you could, t- you could touch them and feel all the details, and like you would have that toy for for months and years, and like soak in all of the dimensions to it. And I remember vividly like putting my toys or standing them up on the floor and like putting my head 
against the floor and like looking up at them or like kind of like almost experimenting with camera angles. Like, sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. cause you try and change your perspective and be like, this is what this other character would be seeing or like, or whatever. And, uh, I think that that, I think that that was in some way, like either be it with story or sculpture or spatial awareness. It was just sort of like, that's kind of like, it's kind of my, my, my bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also think about how like we were picking up these toys that we were too young to have seen the original oh, yeah. products <laughs> by which they were made to market. Oh for. my God. Yes. Yes. So we essentially had to like reverse engineer the world that would have created this particular like character you know yeah fabulous that's a great way of looking at it i, w- I was thinking about yeah no i think that's absolutely true it's the and, and it's an interesting sort of relic to discover as a young person who's kind of figuring out the world mm-hmm. is just to be like what does this come from like it's just this thing that's like purposefully scary but still very cool very rewarding it's not really for us you know it like right. definitely doesn't feel like it feels like it came into our orbit but it's not like really for us and it's like and and yeah there there are all of these loose threads of narrative in these toys and it's just like i remember getting like a toy of gambit and it uh-huh. has like all of these like all of his like uh this very abstract uh representation of cards flying out of his hands with the like the l- l- fiery stuff right yeah, yeah yeah and it's just like i have absolutely no idea what this is supposed to represent <laughs> like i don't know does he shoot slime like what is what right. is yeah, the slimy texture of yeah uh, of this like weird smooth like translucent uh stuff or whatever yeah wow it's so it's yeah so right so it's like what what am i even looking at you know but yeah no that's so true i didn't i didn't think about that but that was a it's a very interesting way of experiencing narrative (laughs) right and so when you did start making stuff out of wire were you making characters were you making like more abstract shapes like what no characters 100 percent. they were very toy-like and and a lot of it was um a lot of it was making the characters and then posing them into a place uh, a a position i was into some weird high fantasy stuff for some reason i was doing a lot of angels versus demons kind Uh of thing like i don't know but like um but i like the drama of bodies like in combat you know like um you know and i still do i still really really love that it's like a motion Mm-hmm. Um, motion frozen is really cool and the wire was really great because you could pose you could pose that i could i could make the characters and pose them in positions like uh that were gravity defying that you really couldn't with action figures unless you balanced them very very carefully you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could build the, your own base into the very fabric of the thing and then yeah. the thing can be whatever you want on top of that yeah base. oh yeah yeah you, and then that way it could be like flying through the air, like this guy's hoisting this guy over his head and all this cool, all the cool shit that like, you know, you'd see in Saturday morning cartoons or something and would just absolutely try and freeze in your mind to keep it there to just be like, oh, my God, what was that thing I just saw? Mm-hmm. Um, because then, I mean, then, you know. <laughs> Back in our day, you couldn't go on YouTube and or, or like, you know, there was no streaming. Yeah. You had to wait a whole week and then you probably get a lame fucking episode. And like you'd be like, ah, no, that was my shot, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, 
No, absolutely. 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 was still like kind of narrative and things fighting. And I got a sense that that wasn't exactly high art, you know, where, how did you get that sense? Like, where did you get that from? I don't know. I think, I think I got it from like my parents maybe. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Cause my, my mom and dad would take me to, I mean, mom was very, like I said, she was like, all right, you're a sculptor. Let's go. We're mm. going to go to see Alexander Calder. And like, you know, I'd be like, oh, this is really nice to see his like uh, his circus, which was all these like kind of puppets that would like do all these amazing tricks. They were made out of wire and trash, which were these really uh, rich aesthetics. Very awesome. And I was like really into it. And of course, my mother, when, you know, is like scribbling in her notebook, like yeah he likes calder very good she's like writing my story you know <laughs> developing your artist bio exactly. like in advance yeah so, so like so even then like even then like um i would be like i would see certain artists that i would really respond to visually but then at the same time i would be like i still i still just when i make things they're just angels and demons like mm-hmm. and and i'm and i'm basically making my own I think I was aware of that. Like I'm making my own action figures and I'm posing them in ways. Um, but it was a long time before um, any of my pieces actually became about the movement um, removed from the characters, uh-huh. if that makes sense. And that I feel like is the the kind of level of abstraction that starts taking things into the capital A art, you know, mm-hmm. like realm. And, uh, and then the capital C, capital A. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> like right, right. The, the capital C, capital, capital A art realm. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and even then, not really. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not making any capital. I mean, no, ah, yeah, I really, it was really, I, I wish I was born in the modernist time <laughs> of artists. Like, I, 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 I still just think all that. All of those sculptures are dope as hell. And um, I never really, uh, I never really had, I don't have a taste for a lot of, I think, the um, the conceptual themes that are being explored in, in art today. I think mm-hmm. abstraction through movement is really, really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so the, you get into your, you know, you, you do the, like learning how to draw to get into arts high school. Yes. And yeah. you're going in for sculpture. And so is this like the first place that you're uh, conflicts between the sort of pure thing that you like to do, like meets the expectations of capital A art or what, what was your experience once you'd. Yeah, you know? that's a good question, man. That's a good question. I think that when you get into, when you get into high school, they do really start to expect you they're prepping you for for contests Mm -hmm. i mean especially Mm -hmm. in new york and especially in in the programs um and every every benchmark whether you know high school college i don't even know yet because i didn't really get past that (laughs) um on this trajectory but really it was just trying to meet that next benchmark so i didn't really think much past that i think that uh i think that when you get into yes when you get into high school they're starting to want to see um, potential in you that is beyond your years. They're going to try and make the case to to package you. You need to have a brand. You need to have like a, and a vision of of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a lot of ways, I actually really dug that because I I could dig really deep. And I took it as an opportunity to just be like, this is just a whole lot of me, and I'm just going to put a lot of me in it. But then mm-hmm. I started to get kind of tastes. I think 
I think that like a lot of my fellow art students were like, that's very creative. And I, I was actually keeping up and painting and uh, I wasn't drawn. It, my my learning disabilities weren't an issue. Like I remembered them being, mm. you know, I was still pretty technical. I was still high. Like I was getting to a point of technical proficiency to the that I would I was on a level with all of my peers, mm-hmm. which was surprising to me. What how did you feel about taking up? painting like what was your response as someone who didn't like drawing yeah. getting to painting i was terrified uh-huh. of it because it's it's you know it's awful it's awful i mean in in that respect is i mean i think about i think about painting the same way that i think about like uh handwriting and things like that it's just it's like no there, there are certain i feel like there with learning disabilities there are certain boundaries you don't even realize have formed around you hmm. you know mm-hmm. you forget when you made the decision to not do that and but it, but when you trace it back it's it, it it usually has to do with uh with um with barriers around your learning disability or mm-hmm. something but yeah but actually painting was a lot easier no erasing it's just uh no and and no um no wrong lines really because we were doing oil painting so you could just you could kind of it could morph yeah you know it has a bit more of the malleability of Mm. the wire sculpture that appealed to you yes thank you that's yeah exactly right and i think and i think um i think that that's also something to do with the motion because um because erasure and the sort of frantic dance between uh between making something making a line and then just pulling it back and then and then going out again and the frustration everything it creates its own sense of movement of like death Mm. and rebirth and like that so so i was starting to get things kind of a little bit wrong even but it didn't matter too much to me and i was starting to be comfortable enough with myself in the medium to be like I, i i like i know that this isn't what i'm exactly what i'm seeing but i think what what is here is more valuable um than me just erasing this again and trying to get the, this this three quarter perspective, uh-huh. you know. And so it's it's like you kind of fell in love with the uh, the act of doing the thing, yeah. Instead of just being obsessed with like the product of your labor not being identical to what you were interested in going for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was I was still I was still kind of getting that with like color and stuff, but like, but because I think it was yeah. If it's a chicken and the egg. I feel like the I, I I first was surprised by how how much I was able to capture, and then I started to become more comfortable with myself uh, and with my experience of making to start diving into that and using that as material for mm-hmm. for the process. But but to get back to your question about um about uh like um. Well, I forget the question, but Uh, (laughs) my my question was about, uh, basically it was sort of an open-ended one about what happened when you entered into art high school. I I, I don't know. I'm sort of like, there's a, a, an assumption that's behind the question, which is like, please go. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, this is another sort of narrative that hangs throughout a lot of like discussion about art in general, which is that there's the sort of like pure creative mind and the pure creative act. And then there are like the institutions yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know, gradually box you in. Man. Yeah, <laughs> man. Oh no. What a bummer. <laughs> yeah. No, when did I get bummed out by the system? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I get you. Yeah. No, totally. No, but that yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Because uh it was it was in high school 
when we were applying to these contests and it was sort of like uh, I realized um, what kind of work was really going to be expected of me, mm-hmm. what kind of creativity they wanted. It was more specific than it had been up until that point, which was just like if you had the if you had the interest and you were making and you were creative enough, you could get by on all of those qualities. But then after a while, you really needed to have an interest in the same things that um, these colleges were interested in. And that's Mm -hmm. at the point where I was like, this might not actually be for me, you know, and I still went for it like hard because, you know, you're special. I you know, four years in a specialized art program and like however many before that, you know, like I'm not going to stop now. Like, you know, this is like the sunk cost fallacy kind of thing. Yeah, 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 pretty much, you know, and like, you know, I'm going going for college. It's the only thing that uh it's the only th- that's th- there's no goalpost on the horizon further than that, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, so, yeah. But I did get that sense of like there's something like, oh, that's what they're interested in. I'm not I don't think in my heart of hearts, I'm actually very interested in that. What what do you could you like <laughs> pin down uh, what you thought they were interested in? Yeah. Like, I think I think that they were interested in. um I think they were interested in, um, well, gosh, this is actually really tough because, uh, I think they were interested in a lot of like art as I understand it is about, is about, um, our existence as individuals and also as the arts existence in the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you, you really are exploring and being present with that, um, in that place is what a lot of these artists were trying to draw from. And I, I'm, I, I don't completely understand it, <laughs> but like, but, and I don't want to, I don't want to downplay it because mm-hmm. I know a lot of artists. I mean, a, so many artists who are so gifted, who make work that is, um, that is so, uh, so ephemeral. So like, so hard to place, hard to like put your finger on, you know, uh, it's hard to pin down to say like, that's what this is, or this is what that, like, uh, so challenging. Let mm-hmm. me say that. So challenging and yet so unique and genuine. Um, it is a total skill that I'm completely in admiration of, but my desire was, uh, I don't think, I feel like I need to feel immersed in something, um, in order to, in order to do do well in it or to be present with it. And I just really wasn't, my attention wasn't held in the processes of, of, of making art as I feel like in the direction that it was going. Uh huh. So it seems like what you're describing is that what was expected and what was valued in these institutions, broadly speaking, was artists making art about artists making art to yeah, some extent to some extent yeah and like or artists making art about media like everyone's yeah. trying to process like process our existence and like our relationship with media and art falls into that category um and uh and there's a lot of stuff and it's not just pop art but then also i think as an artist you have to be uh you have to let go of a lot of control in a weird way you just um you have to like uh in order to be a good artist, like you have to be very silent, um, and stuff. And I, I think, um, I don't know if I was really interested in a 
in like a piece of art that was just like um, a structure in space or like a thought that existed in another person's mind. I wanted to have like a very, a very vivid visual experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to use that experience. uh, I wanted to immerse people in that experience. I wasn't really ready for it to bleed out into the world. Like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like Uh a sculpture that makes you think about your job or something like that. It's like, I just don't, I just don't want that to do that. Gotcha. That's great though. (laughs) When you mentioned like having the opportunity to pour all a, a lot of yourself into the work um what parts of yourself what what were you pouring like where were you coming from at that point mm. in your life that's a good question um, this is a roundabout way of asking you what kind of music you liked but. yeah <laughs> well okay i mean well yeah if that's the question i can answer that question too because i mean because they're actually not that dissimilar and i feel like music had a big part of all of this as it did for everybody i think music was like yeah, it's a huge identifier at that age, right? Mm-hmm. You're just like 100% what you listen to, you know? Yeah, we have, we have not quite gotten like the the stranglehold of the Gen X, like what T-shirt you wear determines yes. your entire selfhood had not quite vanished yet. No, and I was so happy to have a t-shirt that like to define myself with a t-shirt. Yes. It's like, yes, please ask me about my t-shirt. Like, that's all I want to talk about. Like, I don't want to talk about anything else. No, because like it also, all the art was based on that. Yeah. Okay. Nine inch nails was a huge, like artistic inspira- inspiration to me in so many ways. Um, one of them being because he was on a lot of speed and so was I, (laughs) you know, I was on so much, I was, we were on the same drugs like that, like that kinship was not really clear to me until like later, but yeah, but getting back to the learning disability thing, I was taking all this medication and there was a part of me that's like, this is really wrong. This Mm. is very wrong. Like I am pretty young. I should not be on many, many pills in order to endure this like high school thing. And like, this is obviously not for me, but like, again, I'm just, I'm going to go along with it. Cause it's the only existence that I know. Mm-hmm. But like, um, but yeah, like I, I was, he talks a lot about mechanical and synthetic existence and like all this angst. Um, and, and I was feeling that way. Like I was feeling very alienated from myself um, because I, like hated, hated my body and hated life and all this stuff, you know? Um, and, uh, but then also there's the motion of just like the things that you don't understand, um, thing, all of the things that you don't understand, like ripping their way through your body and like, just like, you know, sort of experiencing these feelings without them being linked to cause any sort of cause or, or, um, or defiant action, just, just feeling it, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, I think it's back to like the motion thing. Yeah. So, I was going to draw that exact parallel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I would like to, cause I've been thinking about this of like the weird way in which, um, we became nine inch nails fans. Mm. Um, cause I, I, yeah. I, I've been reflecting a lot <laughs> about like how much my exact path into being like the music guy that I am is informed by the like sort of in grand scale, arbitrary fact of being a weird owl fan when I was 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a while back <laughs> I was eating a falafel sandwich and I bit into it. And the first thing that my brain did 
was dial up the song Colossal by the rapper Future, uh-huh. which opens with him saying like the shit getting colossal. <laughs> and I bite into this falafel sandwich and immediately my brain does some simple math and says, this shit is falafel. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. And so I feel like Whoa. this could only have been a result of the fact that I listened to Weird Al changing the lyrics of songs to be about food <laughs> for many years of my life. Listen. Wow. Yeah. No, I will not. I do. I have no desire to uh, to challenge that 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 um, that logical chain. Um, but then at the same time, I think that you have like uh, you have a grasp on words and uh, like, I mean, it's become clear to me in your writing and also with your singing and stuff that you like have a grasp on words uh exchanging different things or like like how syllables and uh and sounds match each Mm -hmm. other you know Uh, i feel like cammy also has uh my girlfriend my partner has a a similar brain where she and this is interesting she was talking to me about people thinking in terms of people who think in sentences and people who don't Huh. Have you yeah, heard yeah, of yeah. this thing? I, I saw someone tweet something along those lines and it was so existentially terrifying to me that I haven't <laughs> looked into it. <laughs> yeah, it is a little scary. It's like, oh God, yeah, you don't want to dive that deep. But uh <laughs> but no, but she she explains in her mind how um like like she'll think of a word and she'll see the word, the letters pop up, and then she'll see those letters go down and be like replaced by others. And like, it, that's the way that she matches language and, you know, creates rhyme or pun or whatever language. Uh-huh. So the minute she has a word, it's on that dissecting table. Yeah. And I feel like you, um, at least the product is very similar to, to hers in the sense that you're just, you're able to say awful falafel, like, you right. know, yeah, like, <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. It's it, there. Colossal falafel. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, but the, but weird out but also. weird out yeah um, yeah <laughs> uh the the i may be misremembering exactly how this happened but as i recall on the album running with scissors there was a song called germs which is not as most other weird owl songs a direct parody of a particular song but is instead this sort of like stylistic parody that he does usually like one or two per album where it's like totally original song <laughs> written in the style of someone else. Yeah. And I don't know how I figured out that this was the case, but we somehow learned that this was a, uh, a like a stylistic parody of nine inch nails. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can go back if you're like a hardcore nine inch nails fan and dissect each and everything in the song germs and be like oh that's from terrible lie that's from closer like you can do it one by one part by part and be like yeah this is how he cobbled together this fake nine inch nails song but as i recall we both really liked that weird yeah song. oh my god yeah it was it was clearly dope like <laughs> but that's that was weird al too it was like it was like your way into a lot of different yeah. music and musical genres. I just remember like but sitting <laughs> in the back seat of, I believe your parents' car. Uh-huh. Yeah. And us just sort of like not 
explicitly stating that we're getting too old to be listening to Weird Al, but sort of knowing that he had led a, a breadcrumb trail to something way cooler and us sort of collectively deciding. Cooler like, than Weird Al? What? No. no. Yeah, I know. Uh, at that point, like colluding between the two of us of like, we're going to find out what this is. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think you were really the... You were really the detective on that because I think like, oh man, no, because it's weird because like there are a lot of those sounds like those really funky like synth sounds like wow, you like all these like crazy bass lines from Closer and yeah. like you know and the layering. Um, but yeah, no, right. So I because I remember I got a Nine Inch Nails album. I got broken first, and I. I mean, that album is, I, I could not relate that album to germs. To germs. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't really know. I was picturing like, you know, like a hard rock band. I was not, no idea of what industrial um, things were at play mm-hmm. in there, you know? <clears throat> but then somehow you, you stumbled across the downward spiral. The downward spiral, yes. Yeah, which is was just like lightning bolt moment, I think, for both of us in terms of a lot of aesthetical information. Yes. Yes. And then he had these amazing Rauschenberg esque like covers, Mm -hmm. you know, texturally rich, completely abstract. And also like, um, these weird, like they're, some of them look really microscopic. Some of them were like super digital and whatever, but they were like, they were like worlds in themselves. I mean, Mm -hmm. the liner notes in, uh, the fragile was like a very, there's a graphic designer who did that. And I mean, that's like a magnum opus. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the pairing of the sounds with yes, the images yes. always felt like, yes, this is what the downward spiral looks like. This is what the fragile looks like. This is yeah. what, even if we may not love all of With Teeth, that was definitely what With Teeth looked like. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's been, that was that whole chunk of time when we were, you know, teenage nine inch nail dirt bags yeah <laughs> that was because uh, i think we both kind of went our separate ways musically after a while um but that was a, yeah. the, the lodestone connector yeah totally totally so I'm, beyond trent Reznor, like what uh, what other stuff was feeding into your work in that like high school era mm, that's a good question so it's like uh so there was okay so there's the musical elements and then there's a bunch of things that very that stylistically appealed to me. Like I was drawn to very strong styles. Mm-hmm. Like I was drawn to like uh Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, as you know, and uh some other things that like just were like I I was like, wow, this person really made uh really made a style for themselves. I always mm-hmm. really appreciated when a person spoke in their own visual language and uh, made a sort of a very complete feeling product. And I think that that's kind of what um, the liner notes and and music videos later, I didn't even know about the music videos for most of high school. Like (laughs) I just didn't even, I, I, I started looking around and found them later, but, um, but like, I think that that's, uh, that's what drew me into like artists mostly i so like i think uh i think um nine inch nails and uh and man i'm trying to think of some other 
some other things. I mean, there's definitely like Radiohead and things, but uh, I think that that kind of like um, that that kind of washed out textural um, electronic like soundscape, like kind of made it possible for me to start writing my own kind of music, like mm-hmm. or or putting poetry to to, um, to putting poetry to to like words uh, to 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 music. I hate to say, dude, all this, all this is goth as hell. I, I, I like really am reckoning with this, but Edgar Allan Poe was like, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. was like an OG. I mean, I no, but like, I feel like there are some people who are so consistent that by just by reading or listening to their work, you start to internalize their rhythms. And yes, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, like he is so consistent, so beautiful. Like, I feel like I have, um, when I'm writing, people are like, did you really need to have like three descripting, descripting descriptors like joined together with oars or like whatever? And it's like, sorry, but that's that those are the that's the um, flowery kind of uh, like uh, cadence of Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. you know, but just to have uh, the way that that pushes your narrative forward to have that driving sense of rhythm, um, the way that that creates uh, a thrust to the to, to to whatever you're writing it starts affecting and sharpening your 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 creation you know yeah. your editorial decisions it's like it's good it's good to have have rhythm to what you're writing I, mm-hmm. I, so i was getting a lot of kicks out of that you know um, um yeah so i feel like now we should start maybe moving into the college era right because right, right. this is the, now you went to saic in chicago yeah, uh, I went to Columbia College in Chicago, so we were just down the street from each other yet again. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember like around the same time you had posted like your first website, and it had oh, yeah. a lot of these sort of references, but also like David Lynch and oh you know. yeah, David Lynch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I mean going into college, right? <laughs> I mean Jesus, yo, David Lynch is I think David Lynch's uh, son. It was it was at college, and I I met him also, but that was kind of like on the nose for me. I, you know, like I was like, because everyone at SAIC worshipped David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Like my like really attractive and young, cool professors were all like David Lynch, David Foster Wallace, and uh, and and Don DeLillo. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, but uh, but yeah, no. Um, Yes. Oh, and that's interesting. You mentioned the website because that was actually one of the greatest collaborations. And I think it was an introduction. I think collaboration still like I I need to I'm I'm going to as a big takeaway from the project that I feel like is the impetus of this podcast. in which some we're, sense, Which we're all leading which, to, which yeah. we're all leading to. Exactly. But I think that um, something that I've always known, but then somehow end up leaving for huge periods of years is that collaboration is very important to my process or my creative fulfillment, Mm -hmm. like being around somebody, um, being around somebody who is also able to achieve, um, achieve their artistic goals with me, uh, is really, is really gratifying. And, uh, I, if I could, it's kind of like the rhythm to the words, you know, it's like, it drives things so much further, you know, like just to have uh, another creative process unfolding, at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, 
And so what was your like first reaction to the like artistic culture of SAIC, both in terms of like your peers, but also the, you know, the mm. dreaded institution yet again. Yeah, the institution. Um, well, uh, you know, it was very exciting. Like it was so exciting. It was like I was around all of these like really interesting uh, people. And, and one thing that I've noticed is that um, I really had so much respect for every other part of America that was making art because <laughs> like in the people in my school, there was, there was like a marketability to our artistic practices. But with the, with a lot of the people who wound up at SAIC, it was, I got the sense that it was a very private um, and self initiated thing mm -hmm. it was like you could talk to this person you could party with this person you could do whatever but but when it came to issues of her of their work it it was a completely separate like you know you were you were stepping into a world that did not need people in order to exist it did not need huh. people to be watching yeah yeah and i was like i was completely blown away with that you know because so many people were watching you know uh, so many people were watching the art that we were making in, in New York. At least mm -hmm. I felt that way. So, yeah, so that was very exciting and gratifying, but it was also very scary. And, um, there are all these sort of issues with communication, like, um, like, you know, you just don't understand how it's like when you're in a relationship, a long-term relationship with somebody and you're like, man, I am so fucking good at fucking, you know, like, this is great. Like we're having sex like every night and it's amazing. It's like, I'm really digging this relationship, but I'm pretty sure that like, if I went out and like started dating other people, I would be like, I would be like a pretty incredible lover. And then you break up with that person and, and, and your whole world, you know, immediately shattered. You're like, oh, 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 I miss you. And then like, you're completely useless to like the, like the, the next couple of like, you know, lovers that you have need to deal with your emotional hangups. So, I mean, like, I felt like I thought that I was, I thought that I was very ready to just enter any social sphere, but I was very dependent upon the, the, conditions of the social sphere in which i was already had been successful gotcha yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was i found that like a lot of my jokes weren't landing i mean like i was not being interpreted in the way that i thought i was so it couldn't it was very quick to take liberties and sort of represent myself in frivolous ways in, in which people got the complete wrong impression about me, or at least I hope it was the wrong impression about me. <laughs> <laughs> and that was very, that was very alarming. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, did you feel like your art was also going through the same process at that time? Yeah, I think so. Like I was like, um, you know, okay. So this is, uh, I think, yes, I think so. I think I, was able to hold on to my artistic identity for some time. And it actually gave me a pretty good basis for interacting with people. And, uh, I mean, this, I say that I, I realize I'm framing this in a very social aspect, but like, you know, it's like if you're at the mutant Academy, you know, what's the first question you're going to ask your fucking roommate? Like, right. <laughs> like, what do you do? Do you like cards on fire? Like, what's your deal? You're like, yeah, what's your powers? What's your powers? Exactly. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we're all talking about that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the artistic was also a social, you, you had sort of explained why you were there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it was very interesting. So, but, but, but yes, like, uh, so, 
I think I was able to hold on to my artistic identity for a while for like maybe my first semester. And actually like a lot of the work that I made then was like my favorite work for, 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 uh, a few years in, in college. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I kind of like, I think, uh, I say I see is a very conceptual school and I sort of made a mistake and thinking that that was something that I needed in my artistic practice. And Mm. I really don't think I did. Yeah. I I recall (laughs) you then like kind of branching out into a bunch of different mediums. Yeah. Like you kind of moved away from just doing like pure sculpture to Mm. doing like performance art. And I think animation started cropping up around the same time. And yeah. Yeah. And you see, and that's the thing is that none of those things are necessarily, um, I, that that bore fruit. Like I mean, those things are 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 big part of my practice now mm-hmm. in, in so many ways. Uh, but but it was more like the 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 chucking of the things that I had, the things that I knew about myself. I was like uh, I was I was maybe a little too quick to just be to just blank slate it, hmm. you know. Like and um and I think I I remember one professor specifically like while I was in uh. We had this we had this class called Research Studio, which was very much about creating your artistic practice or examining your artistic practice. And the person I was I came in there like I was doing uh, a cell and welding. I was very happy with that. Maybe a little complacent, you know, pretty complacent, I would say. But at the same time, it was a, it was a it was a gratifying process for me. And I was making work that I was happy with. But I, I got in there and the guy was like, uh, you know, my teacher was like, why do you, so why do you like these aesthetics? And I was like, well, I just do. And he was like, yeah, but why? And I was like, huh. And it started to, like, I was I maybe a little quick to be like, well, that's not enough to just like it. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's like, well, what, I mean, that was, that's very disorienting. You right. Know? It was sort of this, uh, a, a moment of self-doubt that you were not prepared to overcome it sounds like yeah it was introducing uh chaos to a a system that was relatively stable (laughs) relatively stable and may i say probably of the systems of of that being one of the systems that made up me i think that was one of my more stable systems Uh (laughs) so like when you destabilize the art practice that was one of the things i had that was what i had that was kind of like my that was my what do you call it that's the lodestone once you get rid of that it was pretty it was pretty quick that uh you know i was having trouble getting laundry done and uh you know all the other things (laughs) (laughs) but um but yeah, no, that, that was that. I think that was a really formative. That was a big moment for me. But while I was tumbling through space, I did manage to take uh, animation classes, um, perform a, a few performance classes that were excruciating, <laughs> like the worst. But I've gotten past it now. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, and, and but some some performance classes that were absolutely amazing as what, well. What what differentiates <laughs> the ones that were excruciating from the ones that were amazing? And you can frame this in the positive if you prefer. But no 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 no. But l- let me just say that like at SAIC they they sold themselves on this point that you know they'll give you teaching artists and this is not exclusive to SAIC. Mm-hmm. I think this was the language of the time. I think that they wanted to tell you our artists work. These are not just professors yeah it was a similar thing at columbia too yeah right i think that's something that parents 
and 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 students want to hear because um but especially parents who are concerned about the viability of an artistic career right you know so it depended who you got and there were a few schools of performance arts particularly um because that was that was a specifically um that was a specific that that field identified uh um saic at that moment um Mm -hmm. at more than I would say as much as a lot of uh, as much as some others, but it was one of the big things. They had a they had a troupe called Goat Island, which was like um, which was a a very successful, I guess, like per, for a performance troupe, you know. <laughs> like, but no, but they had a really, but they had a they had a very specific vernacular of artistic um, performance, mm-hmm. and and it was not it was difficult to branch out. But they were very much about the script. So if you got a Goat Island guy, and I was not doing research enough on my stuff to know who I was getting, but if you got a Goat Island guy, you were doing Goat Island stuff. Uh-huh. And I did Goat Island stuff for like a whole semester, and it was fucking excruciating. <laughs> it was it was horrible. And it had a name like script and performance, and I thought that I would actually write a script uh, and have it performed. <laughs> 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 and it wasn't that. It was much more loosely defined scripts and loosely defined performances. <laughs> <I see. laughs> um, and so by comparison, like what was the stuff that you could positively take away? From- yes. Okay, great. Yes. No, um, this, uh, I had a professor though that looked at performance much more sculpturally, exactly sculpturally. Mm. It was, uh, it was a visual language and, the, and everything that we did was very visually rich um, he introduced me to all of these as- all of these open questions about performance um, that really are taken for granted when you're doing it on a stage. But when you're creating your own stage, I think it's still valid. So I think it's good with the puppet theater and things like that. It's just sort of like, how does your performance and the space that you have identified uh, for the performance activate the viewer? What is, how does it implicate the viewer is like, you can't just, you can't just not address those questions. And we were doing all of our performances in like a gymnasium, but he was very strict about where does your performance begin and end spatially? Like, and, and then also like, if you're doing it in a, in a space, like, um, what are you doing to address the space? So it was, it was very interesting to be like, to, um, because it was, gets back to that idea of completion it's like you want to have um, you want to have a a, a a complete atmosphere created. Not that like the walls need to be all papered over or whatever, but you want to have elements of your sculpture that that address the space around you and successfully transition um, in and out of the performance space. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was it was really cool, and we did a lot of work that had to do with like you know with all the things about free um, movement and stillness. And it was really cool. It was, so that was much, but that spoke a lot more to me. And I just got lucky, you know, he was just a really, uh, he was a a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if I recall correctly, like (laughs) after college, you went pretty hard into animation as your like primary thing. Yeah. Um, and how did that end up happening and where, where did that take you by the end of your stay in Chicago? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, 
yeah so i got really i so okay so all the way through to senior year i was just I was doing all this experimenting. I sometimes think of it as a free fall, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that bleak. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you, can, you can free fall with style. As, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was a Buzz Lightyear of an existential crisis. Yeah. I was wearing it well, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It was fine. And, but, but towards the end of it, I was like, I was, I was starting to kind of feel like, okay, that I've, I see now, like I hate being in these classes, uh, that don't feel like they have a lot to do with me. Like I'm going to go back to storytelling, which is something that I've always liked. And I'm going to go back to animation. Uh, and I take an animation very early and was woefully unprepared um, to uh, organizationally for the requirements of an animation class. Mm-hmm. But, but I, uh, but I did, I did end up convincing my teacher to give me a, an extension on my final project. And I took it home to Brooklyn where, uh, our friend Rezwan, um, the photographer helped me shoot my final. Mm-hmm. And that is probably the second, like that, that, that was, that's, I think that's one of before. I think I've done other work that I'm proud of, but I think that that is one of the most one of the one of my proudest achievements before I would say before even the work I mean not not more so than the work that we just did but I think that I would put those things on a on a on a pedestal with each other and not much else uh-huh. it, it was it was it was a moment of um it was a moment of collaboration again and it was a moment uh it was um it was it, it rings out and stands apart from everything else that I've done Right. Yeah. I, I remember you being very proud of it at the time, but I, I also feel like you, the thing that you're describing is like not necessarily as much about the work, but more about like what it made you realize about how you wanted to work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And maybe that, I'm reading that in and you can. No, no, I think, I think both are true, but I also with the work itself, I was like, this is a very complete thing. This is exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I was able to describe to somebody what, what I envisioned for the project and that person was able to bring like we already had an artistic kinship that we had kind of identified like I dug his work he dug mine we kind of addressed to each each other's work in our work Mm -hmm. and uh and then when um it came time to collaborate we were kind of on the same page so that like I was I feel like I was kind of the director but I feel like um, I feel like Rezwan brought things that were very much himself to the project. So it wasn't just like solving problems. It was kind of like, um, it was like having a person that I trusted that I could jam with, you know? Yeah. 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 It was just, uh, yeah, it was great. It was really, really great. And it was also a confirmation of our artistic kinship which which felt awesome. It seemed like you kind of chased that feeling next because you you were in like an animation collective for yeah, a while. And that yeah. I feel like is it has to be a collaborative experience yeah. or ideally should be. It should be, yeah. I think that, yeah. I, my my idea with it was, yes, was that you don't be precious about work. Just just go, mm-hmm. you know? Cause, um, and I tried that. And actually I tried to even do things with Rezwan again. And it didn't quite work. I think it. I think it needed to, needed to be a little bit more ambitious than it was being. Like you know, like I mean, 
I think that artistic, I think that you can just sort of collaborate and that's, I think you can collaborate and just work off of collaboration. I think there's, that's possible, but I, uh, I took for granted the importance of having a, a roadmap or a plan mm-hmm. that you're embarking on together. Like that first, that first, that first idea is really important. I think you need to have a first agreement at least is that Uh we are making a blank, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and then you can start and then you can start challenging yourself to, to make it, to make it the blank that you want it to be and Uh to, to add more and more of yourself. Um, but yes, uh, I wanted to make more work with that. The creative collaboration, yeah, I came right out of school. I was terrified about not making work mm-hmm. as soon as school was over. I was like, I was like, I need to find a way for myself uh, to stay accountable as an artist. You know, I'm going to be trying to make money and it's going to be hard. So, um, so yeah, so we were part of this collective. I was really touched that they invited me to, to, to work in it. I feel like I was a good animator, but I don't, I didn't feel like I, was ready for any sort of professional, uh, environment. Uh-huh. But yeah, but we got together and we got to work and it was good and we, we were pretty productive, but it was very like corporate in a weird way. Huh. <laughs> you know, it was like, we were like doing drugs and, and jamming and well, actually I'm saying all these things and we definitely did all of them, but, but it was all, but like when we were putting things together, we were, putting storyboards up on like a literal wall discussing our brand and all this like really boring shit that had nothing to do with the, the work art. itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why do you think, um, do you think, cause like if I remember correctly, it was mostly like people our age and this was in our early twenties. Do you feel like there was maybe a, um, a self-imposed expectation to be as professional as possible or, well, you know what's interesting? I think yes, but also I think I think I I think everyone in that group had a massive amount of debt. Yeah. You know, and it was just like um it's it's a really we all graduated with a we all graduated with a with a freshman's or like a a, a an undergrad's understanding of the tools that they would need in the world in order to be a success. Uh-huh. You know, like, I mean, it took four years. We all did the best we could, but like we were curating the skills The to- we were assembling a toolbox and we had never been out in the woods before, you know, like, you know, it was, it was, it was so, so, so I think there was, I think there was a lot of pressure to be somewhat financially successful quickly, mm-hmm. you know, or at least to t- uh, seriously apply ourselves to the task. And, uh, and so we did. And I feel like, um, what I was looking for was much, I was looking for something a lot more artistic and a lot more loose, but I, but I developed a lot of skills because of those professional standards. Like I took storyboarding really seriously and concept art and, um, and I started doing animation in a professional context and and was it was very validating like mm-hmm. i feel like i was i found that i was a lot better at it than i thought i was so that was good were you still sculpting at this point too or had you kind of abandoned that as like a thing that you did um i was starting to abandon it because i was sculpting somewhat but there wasn't a lot of use for the sculptures that i made i really 
that I think that's possibly part of why I wanted things to be more abstract and loose. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of like realized after we had started that I wished we weren't doing animation and that we were doing puppets instead, you know, when um, did, how quickly did you like before we like at the formation of uh, it? Wow. Yeah. I was yeah. like, Oh shit. Okay. But then also like, I was like, yeah, no, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was like with a puppet, you make it, it's, it's for the theater. It's for mm-hmm. people to see, but with, 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 um, for people to see on a scale with their physical bodies. But when you make an animation, especially a stop motion animation, you're making doll props. You're making tiny little doll props mm-hmm. and it's cool. But then at the same time, yeah, I just don't work well on that scale. It's tough. It's really hard. And I also didn't know this at the time, but I had a developing stigmatism that was making it really difficult for me to see. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I was, it was a bad time to start making tiny doll props, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I don't know why this isn't coming together. What do you think of this? And they're like, I don't know, Preston. Like, I was like, well, I can't really see what I'm doing. So, uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting just sort of thinking about because, again, I feel like there is this, you know, conception of the art being like this thing that is pure and abstract and metaphysical that the artist then pulls down into the world. But so much of even the way that you're pulling it down (laughs) depends on the circumstances of like literally your physical body. Yeah. You know, that's so true. Thinking about like the reason that you were more interested in sculpting versus drawing is, and th- that having to do with your learning disability and then the scale of your sculpting having yeah. to do with your literal eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. I think that there's so much about it. There's so much about us that, that, uh, that evolves from that. And I think that's also why you have these really simplistic artist stories that find their way into the work or just or assisting the work in some mm-hmm. way. You know, like, uh, like Chuck Close, like, um, like, uh, I forget her name, but whoever makes all the little dots in, in her work, Uh you know, like, I mean, these are, these are artists with a lot of appeal because it's very easy to understand why they make the work that they do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and, um. It's and, like why people people like breakup albums, you know? Yeah. Because it's like this thing happened, then this art came out on the other side of it. Right. Because art needs to, yeah, because art can't, comes from the pain. Yeah, this right. pain became this art. Yeah, all this stuff. Like, I, I think that's very appealing um, to have these meta, these meta stories um, surrounding the art. Because mm-hmm. they're not like actually a part of the art, really. Yeah, they can be, but are not like by definition. Yeah, part of it. Yeah, no, and that's. I mean, but but that's that's kind of the thing is that like, people start looking for those really simple stories, you know, and it's that's also something that's frustrating because I mean, and also uh, something that you can fall into, and be mm-hmm. like, I need to explain myself as a being, doing this. It's like you're writing a. Um, like a college entrance essay, you know, like all of a sudden it's like, let me tell you about how my life was changed when I volunteered at a whatever. Yes. So, um, yeah, no, right. I think, uh, but it is, but it is true. I mean, in little ways that are maybe not even so grandiose as, as that, I think we all end up 
doing or not doing what we do because of really simple mechanical barriers and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that there's, it's, there's like two conflicting simple stories at play where like on one hand we do really, you're entirely right. And I think like music PR has like gone all in on this for the last, the years that I've been involved with it. Mm-hmm. of like, this person is from blank had this blank happen to them. Therefore, you yeah, know, <laughs> this art. Yes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you're like explicitly any, and again, I've, I feel like anytime I've, I've brought up the, the PR people that I've worked with in my own life, it sounds like I'm talking shit. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> JP, no. you're great. If you're listening, um, <laughs> but I know that the, the limitations of those jobs do require, like I've been asked, like, what are the bullet points? Yeah. Of like your personal experience in your life that would lead you to, you know, that we can use to sell this record. Right. Which is, I get it. That's the job. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but the other conflicting simple story is the like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like anything is possible. Kevin Garnett screaming at the sky kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> of like the, the quote unquote, like inspirational story of like overcoming the yes, other simple that's story. So true. That's so true. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, but even that, right. No, that's totally true. I I think I think that that story is not simple. That is not a simple task that is being described, but even then it is a simple story in the sense that it 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 frames it frames the work's creation in an appealing way that kind of gets you in the door and makes you spend time with the work. Mm-hmm. It's very simple to sell a person instead of selling the work you know sure a little bit a little yeah as as that is i mean um but i do think it's i think it's interesting um on a personal level like artists from an artist to artist level like when you're alone with yourself and you're trying to just make the work because no one gives a shit who you are you know like i mean then you then then these things really do matter because you're a machine that needs to be serviced and needs to be needs to be made efficient mm-hmm. enough to make the work that you desire to make right if you're not like i mean like that's the thing is this really no matter what i did i don't have a lot to contribute to um to the process of making stop motion i I, I can, I can maybe make, uh, I can, I can animate, I can write stories. I feel, I feel confident in my visual language, but I, but I, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, a fabricator yeah. like at all. Uh-huh. There's sculpture and there's fabrication and I am not a fabricator. And that, that is actually a, re- that, that's a hard lesson to learn because I think with anything, like when you sketch out a path for yourself, it's very hard to, to abandon that path, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a, a, an artistic path dependency kind of yeah. thing. Like you get, you can railroad yourself into, uh, you know, being a certain type of artist, but I also feel like there's so much of a, the, the artistic temperament does not lend itself well to closing off possible realms of self-expression you know yeah yeah i think it takes some like serious uh mental fortitude to say like and maybe this is just me patting myself on the back but i've always been like i am a drummer 
Yeah. You know, like, I don't yeah. really care about learning how to play guitar. <laughs> like I've yeah. had many opportunities and it would probably make my life way easier if I did know how to play guitar. But it's mm. like, no, I'm going to write music from being the perspective of a drummer. Yeah. You know, I, I constantly, maybe I'm, I'm getting too much into myself here, but I, I constantly no, yeah. feel pulled in two directions by this kind of like impulse to be a bit of an artistic dilettante. Yeah. You know, hence this podcast, hence, you know, the, the GoPro sitting over there and the, yeah, <laughs> the, all this other stuff that like yeah. the fact that I write and I do me like, no, but it's, it's helpful to you and the, to the extent that it's helpful, but you don't have to explain why mm-hmm. you don't have to, and you don't have to put an artifice on yourself. Right. But like, if it's like, if you're sort of like, ah, you know, I got this drumming thing down and I feel like, uh, I'm. I, I've I've found that I can do with keyboards, you know, what I need to do musically for myself. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think uh, I think I'd like to start exploring guitar um, on this. You know, it just can't be like a. It can't be a picture. I feel like if it's a picture that you're trying to grow into, maybe you can do that. But I, I just don't think it's like I just think it's easier just to be like, um yeah, that's really not me. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really, yeah. Like, uh, like even if I know that you're, I know that this isn't tr- true of you, but like, if you were ever like, like, you know, I'm really not a, I'm not really not a session. You know what? Okay. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. I, I, I backed out of my med. I'm searching for metaphors, but I just watched school of rock recently uh-huh, okay. and like, okay, there's this part and this just blows my fucking mind. I feel like this is like the biggest artistic lesson that I, got from that mm-hmm. um was there's this part where the the main the, the 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 guitar playing kid is just like he's written this amazing song which of course was written by like one or more extremely talented professionals right <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing and he plucks it out for them they start they start playing it and he's um and and jack black is like you don't like, do you want to sing it? And he's like, no, nah, man, you sing it. And he's like, are you sure? This is your song. And he's like, yeah, man, but I'm no singer. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> there's so much in life that is like, there's so much in every, I mean, especially guitar. Like, you know, this guy is so close to being full rock God. And he's just like, just says no to all of these like images and conceptions of what like a what a rock star is just simply at the age of 12 just like yeah man i'm no singer like right yeah (laughs) clearly a a line written by an adult (laughs) (laughs) clearly man but but that that was so that i think we could all learn a lot from that yeah yeah. And that's the great thing about collaboration is that it puts all of you in perspective. You don't have to be everything. You don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And like through collaboration with other people, it's okay to be together and to strive towards something uh, better, bigger than the sum of its parts, you know? Sure. I think in the interest of that particular thread of conversation, we're going to yes. scroll ahead a bit in the timeline. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Uh, to talk about the, the reason for the season or mm. the reason, reason for the last season, I suppose, since yes. now that it's November, like we're not allowed to talk about horror. We're not supposed to talk yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. The, the, <laughs> the cruel gaze of Mariah Carey is upon us. <laughs> yeah. She's looming over yeah. the, over the yeah, horizon. Um, yeah uh, <laughs> Preston had to live with me when I was listening to every single number one hit uh, <laughs> almost in a row 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and let me say that was like, that was a really interesting human experiment. I was like, cause I wasn't always just experiencing the actual songs themselves. I was, I was seeing them through the lens of, of Ian's visage, <laughs> like just as he, as he experienced, you know, how many years? Um, about like 60 years. <laughs> uh, I want to say, Oh my God. It's oh, so weird. Um, but you were not there when I reached the end of the project, which, ha- which happened after Christmas. I, it, I started this thing in August and it took me until December to finish doing it because I needed to keep myself somewhat sane by the process. <laughs> you guys were out of town um, yeah. and I was just like sitting at my desk going through the playlist when the most recent song at that point in time to have hit number one in 2019 uh, starts kicking in and it's fucking all I want for Christmas is you by Mariah Carey, <laughs> which did not hit number one in the nineties, but did Whoa. in 2019. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I just like, I just started cackling. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> that's so funny. I can't even imagine like you, you, you've traveled to the end of this, like this insane winding path. And then who, and then Mariah Carey is waiting for you at the end <laughs> with her already like completely ubiquitous uh like on inescapable <laughs> holiday classic it's just so funny i can't even believe that yeah it, it made me feel nutso uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but you know the funny thing about that song is that like it's it sounds like it was written in the 50s or something there's something about like the way that it's written that everyone thinks like this is a much older song than yeah. the 1990s but she wrote it herself and so it's kind of an interesting uh, case of someone adding something into the canon mm. that feels timeless. Oh, like sort of an Amy Winehouse sort yeah, of thing, right? Exactly. Um, and not to uh, to toot both of our horns simultaneously. Which I don't know if that's <laughs> anatomical. <hot>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think there's something about uh, your the most recent project that you just finished that when you told me the story for the shadow puppet play, the dream yeah, part of me was like, this feels like it has existed in a good way. Mm, yeah. Like, this feels so archetypically like just classically structured and is it's like a ghost story that feels like a timeless ghost story. Uh, you know, yeah. there's nothing about it that screams 2021 at you in my mind. It just feels like, this could have been a Spielberg thing. This could have been an Edgar Allan Poe, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it, not to, you know, say that we made all that I want for Christmas is you, but uh, I think we made something no. really cool. So I'm really excited Dude, to talk no. to you. about I'm, it. I'm loving all this. No, I, I appreciate that so much. I mean, I think that because I think that it's like, it's sort of a thing when you're trying to make a, a show essentially for children that you got you kind of have to make something for the child in you right uh, and uh-huh. then and then that's kind of in that's intimidating because you're like what you know all oh, these kids with their newfangled this that and this like you know what are you gonna do uh like like how am i going to make a connection between my childhood and their child you have like a childhood inferiority complex like yeah. mine's not good enough for these new ones and right yeah they don't have any comics plus in they there. don't have comics plus <laughs> what am i even doing yeah exactly you can lose your mind thinking about that but yeah no i appreciate that um because i think uh 
I think that um, going speaking to children uh, that that children come into the world and like a, with a with a completely novel sense of everything, mm-hmm. and it's just like um, their experience. I mean, I think we forget how much children are experiencing for the first time. There's there's so much in the world. Uh, more than just what is new, what is being added to the world since you were a child. Yeah, there is, yeah. there are just, yeah, there, there's way too much to soak up. So you're going to have a lot more in common, I think, with with kids just for this, just the experience of being a child is enough, mm-hmm. you know, and it's something we all have. Right. Like if you zoom out long enough to the types of art that we're talking about here yeah. for the entire history of it, like 20 years, mm. it's kind of the 20 years between your childhood and theirs yeah. is a relatively small chunk of time and art compared to the vast ocean of shit yeah. that it was new to you and is new to them. Right. Exactly. And, and a lot of those things are like, like, you know, dogs, like, <laughs> you know, like clouds, things like this. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Which is interesting also because um, I don't want to make an artificial connection, but with shadow puppetry or puppetry, live puppetry in general, um, I think that there's something about that that is uh, those those mechanical details that are not outright explained but are viscerally present mm. are 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 um, add a layer of um, add a uh, add something new for 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 the audience to to comprehend or to deal with that makes everything very novel. So for like, for example, like with, with marionettes, which I do for my day job, um, is, is, uh, puppeteer marionettes, um, is that they have like a different, a relationship to grab They have an illusion, illusionary, illusionary. Let's go with it. Yeah. 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 Illusory. I think is the correct one, but illusionary sounds illusionary. They have an illusionary relationship with the gravity and then they have their actual relationship with gravity, which is, (laughs) which is, which is, is different, but is equally complex. And Mm -hmm. so you have the, you have the, um, you have the information that's being given by the illusion and you have the information that's being given by the reality and they complement each other. It makes for a very rich, um, a very rich experience with a lot to dissect and a lot to observe. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the same is true of shadow puppetry, where we are creating illusions, but there is also a mechanical, um, a mechanical truth behind all these puppets that is also coming across. So it's like, so. Uh, so in a sense, it's like it's a world that's more complicated than its subject matter in a lot of ways, hmm. mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, I want to sort of like nail down. Yes. yes some yes. facts. Let's nail down facts. Yeah. Uh, when did you start writing the dream and how did you first start conceptualizing uh, the uh, the shadow puppet show as a, a thing that will exist in the world? Like, where did that start for you? Right. OK, so uh, I first um I first started uh, conceptualizing the dream. Uh, well, I first kind of started writing a uh, little horror vignettes when I was uh, spending some time in Shreveport with my partner and uh, I was making drawings that would kind of serve as movie posters. And so mm-hmm. like I would draw these, I would draw elements that I thought were interesting and then kind of come up with what, 
was going on in them kind of like the the yeah, action figures the action the, figures yeah, yeah. exactly which by the way action figures and post and movie posters have i feel like are are have that in common and they're yeah. also equally accessible to children right it's just like what the fuck am i looking at in this fucking subway like <laughs> like i cannot believe like can you explain you're an adult can you explain this to me and they're like preston i have no idea i didn't see this movie and i'm like what like i don't know but anyway yes so uh making making these relics and then kind of deciphering them and uh like more and more stories started to start to pile up in my in my memory bank and then uh i started taking my first child care jobs and uh i had like a bunch of students who were just really interested in hearing scary fucking stories i don't mm-hmm. understand what it was and i was really nervous <laughs> telling them to them but of course i did yeah well of course i i think back to uh you know when in our childhood we had goosebumps and yes. the uh, like scary stories to tell in the dark and all this these like bite-sized horror stories that are yes. intended for children you know yes and i think that that's i think that that is a that's a really important i mean when we talk about relics it's something interesting because you you chew on those you you process them in the moment and then kind of put them in a place i think in your memory where it's continuing to be kind of digested and your reaction as a child bakes in to the subject matter so when hmm. we pull those things out again and examine them as adults we have a lot of our the dna of the person that we were when we watched them baked into it so it's like so they they become really uh rich um relics or like uh evidences of who we were Mm -hmm. as a child and like it's a very unique opportunity given by horror even though sometimes it's like a a distinctly unpleasant experience in the first place right you know but so you yeah you were telling these stories to kids and telling these stories to kids from what i can remember they they were having good reactions to yeah they were having they were having very good reactions and i was like okay so i sort of started writing these things down um and i was working at puppet works and it came up that uh you know puppet works is always like was looking for new ways to like make money or at least as a new employee i was like at a non-for-profit i'm like trying to figure out ways to make it a booming success right you know? yeah yeah and uh a booming, booming. <laughs> thank you thank you that was that would have been a crime if i missed that exactly a booming success and i was uh and i was discussing it with my with my coworker being like oh like you know we could do a shadow puppet um because it's cheap because it's fast to produce uh a shadow at least in theory a shadow (laughs) it was it didn't really seem to be that way um but a shadow puppet show for the holiday season we could book it in other places um or at puppet works and we're like yeah yeah that sounds great and then i was trying to think of uh to find stories to to adapt and then i was talking to cammy about it and uh and she was like like preston it'd be way way fucking easier if you just wrote a story i mean you've been writing stories so it's like yeah, it would be way fucking easier just to write a story. And like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And then it was like, as if I had the story already, you know, like it just, um, it just like, once that became the goal and I accepted that that was the goal, the story just like came, like 
just ha- like came out so quickly. Mm-hmm. It was like, I don't know. It's just like one of those things where I, I was, you wait for something so long that you, you forget to jump at it. You, you get accustomed to waiting, yes. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, such as, such as the long haul, but I'm really glad that she said that because, uh, because yeah, because I, 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 I wrote that story and I feel like, uh, I, I was really happy with the way it came out and um uh and and I think it was actually fairly more sophisticated because it had a plan behind it. Mm-hmm. I think it was like okay, like a story with a plan. Uh just I mean just the same thing with like collaborating. It just pushed it that much further, you know. Yeah. So you developed the story first and then the sort of framing device of the character that you play around that was like the second thing that you added yes. was like the frame yes so so yes okay so yes so the idea of the story was to be a horror host and to have a horror anthology mm-hmm. so i would have different stories and i would be a character in between and i didn't really know who the character was going to be but i understood that it was going to be like an unapologetically spooky kooky kind of like uh like thing holding the stories together but the stories themselves would be Stories that um, were relatable and accessible to children, like they centered around uh, around um, sort of timeless interactions that children have with their environment or would mm-hmm. be able to mm-hmm. identify with that. Um, so this one, this one was about uh, the dream. The story of the dream was about uh, a child climbing a tree. And um, and I thought that that was an interesting that was an interesting thing to be afraid of. Um, because in a sense, the child is the active component of the tree. But I think, I think that, I mean, the active component in that, in that activity of climbing a tree. Yeah. It is the child who decides to climb the The tree. The child does decide to climb the tree, but at the same time, there's this, um, I think as children, there's this like, uh, I don't know. I, I think there's this like sort of risk, uh, this sort of the, there's something about the imagination, um, that kind of de-emphasizes our active role in things. So I thought mm-hmm. like, wouldn't it be interesting if the child, um, if the child felt like he didn't have a choice, but to climb the tree, you know, and yeah, that the yeah. tree is now the, the, the active one because it's maliciously, um, you know, maliciously drawing him into a position of danger, mm-hmm. you know? So, so that was kind of the, yeah, that was kind of the kernel of the story, you know? And so then you reached out to me uh, <laughs> yeah. and asked me to do the music for it. And, uh, you know, we've, we had several conversations about exactly how to, uh, how to do that. Um, I've, I'm happy with the results. I, I think you're happy with the results. Very happy with the results. No. Cause like, I think, I think it was, it's been said of by many directors, but by David Lynch, then a movie is made equally of sound as, uh, as by images. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is 100% absolutely the case. And, um, you need to have a world of sound that is as complete as the world of the images. Otherwise, uh, yeah, the, the gas is, escapes, you know? Yeah. The yeah. Movie. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I, I know that this is like a, a conversation that comes up a lot, like on, when people are starting to figure out what kind of content quote unquote they want to make um, and how to make it like for YouTubers, you know, this is like the common point of advice is like you actually have to get your sound better than your video. 
because wow, interesting. the sound is more convincing and makes the video feel more convincing. You know, a good sound is, let me see if I can rephrase this. I feel like I'm just sort of splattering this sentence. No, out. no, I get that though. It's great. Good sound will lead people to feel more convinced by the images mm. than bad sound with good images. Ah, you know, yes. Like high audio fidelity. It's like why I've, you know, there are podcasts that are significantly more popular than this one that record on much worse equipment. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I listen to NBA podcasts and the majority of them, at least one person on the conversation <laughs> sounds like absolute dog shit. <laughs> yeah. Upwards of 50% of the time. But you don't care because you're you're going for your, you got to get your NBA content. Right? Exactly. Like your hunger, the thirst is such. Yeah. That you, you just put up it. with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I but relate to that. I've, I've always, my attitude towards making this podcast is like, one, it's a place where I am. I've been using this as like a playground to get better at doing sound stuff. Yeah. Um, which I think ended up in a very abstract roundabout way, making the music that I wrote for you better. Yeah. Um, I could totally see that too, because I think that that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense because I think that, um, when somebody's listening to a podcast, they're getting all of their spatial information about, um, all of the information about the space that the two of us that are inhabiting, um, that that I feel like an audience member can't help but visualize. Yep. You're getting that entirely through sound, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I th- that's why I've like tried to like have good mics because yeah. I want people even, I want to be working with good stuff and then I want people on the other end to have a good product. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, we've gone far afield. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I think that's, I think that's very important. And honestly, personally, I'm just very happy to, uh, to hear that because that's something that I would like to have also. I think it's important. So what were you looking for? I feel like now we're kind of like reverse engineering the process of how we got to the music that we got, but yeah, yeah, like yeah, what yeah. were you looking for initially from the music and like, what, what do you want out of sound in horror in general? That's a, yeah, that's a really good. Okay. So that's a good question. I think, um, I think that I wanted, I wanted music that, uh, that, um, successfully conveyed the feeling of the main characters like uh-huh. uh, that that was on the same emotional page that they were um, because for me that's something that I like to see like I like I like to see in a movie like that kind of cohesion mm-hmm. when you're in a moment where where you're where you feel dialed into the main character and you're, you start experiencing things with them. It's just like, I think that that's the state of flow as an audience member that you just want to be in. Mm -hmm. And now you're really, um, it's exciting. It's exciting to experience something through a character's eyes. So like, so I think, I think that, um, I think that, um, sound is a, uh, this sound is very similar to the way that I would like images to be. It's all about how we experience the world, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, um, and this is something that I learned at SAIC in that performance class, but it's like what's going on in your peripheral is just as important as what's going on directly in front of your face. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You, you, um, you understand the space that you're in by uh, piecing together all the information that is in front of you. And in horror, especially, where you are constantly involved in misdirecting um, and creeping up on 
uh, creeping up in those peripheries, it's very important to make use of the places where the where the person is looking and the places where the person is not looking, you know, mm-hmm. and and also and also understanding the visual the visual language of composition and color and all of these things well enough to heighten and uh, take advantage of the way that the person's experiencing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you, I think like the, the way that it sort of came down to, we had a few sort of rambling conversations kind of like this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that yeah. ultimately we like reached the end of the night, a few drinks in. Yeah. And we had to get down to brass tacks. <laughs> yeah, about exactly how much music I needed to write. Yeah. That's and, um, the result that the thing that happened is we just sort of like identified like these are the emotions yes, that we need yes. to write music for. And we need to like capture at least these three feelings, you know? Yes. No, that was that was that was an interesting thing. And that was a total experiment because I didn't know how it was going to go. I, I was into this idea of modularity, which mm-hmm. I don't think is exactly how the, the soundtrack actually ended up working out. So basically, yes, we had those, we had like three themes pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. So the idea was to bring, to mix the themes together or to have them in different combination to to give them all different feels. Um, and, but what I think was, what I think was, um, I don't think that they, I think that the themes ended up being standing on their own. I didn't really mix them in gratifying ways i feel like Hmm. there was this there was maybe one or two situations where they overlapped and i was with something completely different but for the most part the themes were complicated enough in themselves um that different elements of them could be drawn out by the context you know what i mean yeah yeah so it's like you have the boys theme and there's hope in the boys theme but there's also a lingering anxiety there's a little bit of sadness it's it's just um all of these elements that need to sketch out around full character you start to it starts to emphasize the images kind of tell you what to emphasize within that theme and so it changes in the context which i didn't know would happen yeah yeah and this is like the first time that you've worked is this the first time you've worked with like a musician? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, what were the other collaborators that you had? Like, what was, what was your team? Oh, like? yes. Yeah. Okay. So the whole team, the whole team was basically was me, uh, the sort of director and, and puppet maker. Um, and, uh, you obviously the, the sound and, uh, or really music, music primarily. Music yeah. Guy. I didn't end up doing any Foley on this no, one. Someone no. else did. We were, yeah, we were going to get somebody for Foley. Um, but we didn't, we had Heather who was, uh, Heather did, um, all the backgrounds. So she was kind of like an illustrator and, and actually it was interesting going back and forth with her and trying to dial in the style of the backgrounds and uh, another big X factor that we didn't know how it would work when the puppets and the backgrounds put together. So, yeah. Yeah. So the way that we do the show is that we, um, do puppet shows, which are, uh, which are a flat, um, a flat silhouetted puppet placed against a screen that creates like, uh, with backlighting. And basically you see the puppet, um, as defined by that light behind Mm -hmm. it. So for our backlighting, instead of using like, you know, just a, a, a lamp, we used a uh, projector. And in doing, we were able to project um, 
not just light, but illustrations. Yeah. Yes. So cool. That, cool. That's yeah. So cool. And it was great too, because we could also do, um, we could have these backgrounds move fluently around each other and even incorporate some aspects of animation. Yeah. Which was, yeah, I think that, that, um, that really, uh, brought us closer to a cinematic, uh, feel than, than we would have otherwise been. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I feel like there could be a conception that like, if you're making the cinematic thing, why not go all the way and animate all of it? Yes. Why is it important to you? to have it have an element of live chaos yeah. <laughs> introduced by, you know, actually manipulating the puppets yourself. Well, it goes back to that thing that we were talking about a little earlier, which was um, that extra dimension of that extra dimension of, um, of reality that, 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 that beyond the illusion. Uh-huh. So you have, you have the illusory, you have the illusory, 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 <laughs> that elusive, illusory word. Okay. The illusory um, uh, element of what, of like, you know, of the images that make up the story. And then you have um, the mechanical reality behind it, which is that these are pup, these are puppets hanging in space, re- re- reacting to our hands in live. Mm-hmm. And I think that a, that put us into the live space because I don't think I could justify screening the, uh, an animation night after night. Um, and B, um, it added that extra kind of, uh, intimacy of like share of the, the audience sharing a space with a live component. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was like, I, I think it brings, uh, and I, if I could diverge just a little bit, sure. and talking about the, the illusory and the mechanical, I think that this is kind of, I don't think I would have liked the kind of animation that we used, which I absolutely adored and was done by, um, by Heather, the, the, uh, the illustrator. It was done by Heather's partner, Ben, who is, uh, was very generous with his time and, and created all this wonderful stuff. I mean, he's one of those people that when you give him something to do, um, he'll, he'll, he'll put more hours into it than is possible for him to do because he's just like, he just work on it to his detriment, uh-huh. you know? And, yeah. and we were left with some really beautifully paced um, animations, but I feel like if it was all that kind of animated style, that kind of after effects um, animation, I feel like it would have had, I don't think the mechanical aspect of that is interesting enough to stand with the illusory aspect mm-hmm. of it. So it's like, I think it makes it less rich. Right. It feels less like you're pulling off a magic trick than watching a video. Yes. I I was thinking a lot, you know, there's one of the primary differences between our childhood and the child, the children that you performed for is the number of screens that they're looking at. Sure. And the amount of time that they're looking at those screens. And so I feel like video is much more mundane. Yeah. As like a, a thing to experience, like going back all the way to your comments about like, we didn't, we couldn't go on YouTube and find, you know, clips of x-men yeah now it's a thing that i do all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can be you can you can be on the cutting edge or or a slave to the past you can do either you can find Um, it all on youtube but i i I think that the thing that is magical for pretty much everyone is a combination of that idea of like wait how what what parts of this are 
pre-recorded so to speak and what yeah. parts are happening live and the confusion between those two things that's the real magic yeah like my jaw dropped when the text message popped up <laughs> uh, during the shadow puppet show because I, I legitimately did not understand how you did that <laughs> i was just like what the what? fuck <laughs> yeah. no that is so cool man that is I, i'm really glad that uh i'm really glad that we've talked about this element because that's a. Uh, because that, I think that's absolutely true, and that's not exactly what I thought the whole point was. But I think that that, but I think that that is a, a truth about about entertaining this generation. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm hesitant to separate it from others, but I think you're absolutely right about video is cheap, you know, in a sense. Um, but yeah, so 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 yes, yeah, so we had uh, to get back to your question of who was involved. We had myself. Um, we had you, we had Heather doing the illustrations, Ben, who did the animations and, uh, Cammy, uh, my partner who did, um, who kind of, uh, did a lot of our, did a lot of editing, uh, stretched and sort of reappropriated some of the animations, uh, as well. Did, did, did the Foley, did the, basically stepped into all of the positions that needed filling, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we hurtled towards our deadline and also, uh, also wrote, um, the, the horror host material that stitched the whole thing together. Cool. I didn't realize that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. That was like, I mean, uh, Cam is a huge fan of like, the only thing that she likes more than horror and horror hosts are is comedy. And she, she was like, let's, I, I, you, you got to give me this or you don't have me for this project. <laughs> you know? I don't know if she really got down to brass tacks like that, but I think it, I think it was clear that she would have a lot to do she she was it was her hands were the best hands to put that in mm-hmm. and she also did our costumes and our makeup uh-huh which uh ended up being i didn't really there was a lot of dimensions to the project right yeah, like there's yeah. like a video element there's the sound element there's the puppets and i'm focused on all of those i didn't realize that like if i'm standing in front of all of this with just like a no makeup on she was like that's preposterous Preston you don't understand what you're saying like you can't just do that you yeah. can't have you can't can't have this puppet show without sound you know you can't you can't be out there without makeup right yeah and, and then she was absolutely right <laughs> your point about like the the things in the periphery mm. and the things right in front of you are both equally important yeah like the things that might be in your artistic periphery might be in someone else's direct line of sight right no exactly no like i mean you have to justify the fact that i'm up on being up on stage mm-hmm. in front of even if even if i'm separate from the stage that you will be watching your show on i need it i need to be a part of the show yeah you know like it's it and also gets back to that that thing with that teacher where it's just like you you need to clearly define um and address all of the elements of the space that you are inhabiting as a performer you know you can't just let certain ones slip the you know yeah yeah so where do you where do you see this going next where what do you want do you want to do more shadow puppet stuff do you want to shit yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i'm fucking oh my god man i'm like i mean i'm a little sick of it now and you know like i mean the the actual show that we did and mm-hmm. i feel like it it needs um it needs rewriting and like re storyboarding because uh, 
I'm not so sure. So it's interesting. A lot of the feedback I got from it was um, that the kids were very interested. And it seems like they really were. There was like not very much talking. And if there ever was talking, it was usually to narrate what was going on. They were explaining to their friends what they were seeing, which was really cool. Right. Um, I think that the momentum itself justified the story, justified the images and put them together in a way that was sufficient. But I think that some of the nuances of the story that I wrote were, were not communicated by, by, uh, the end product. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm interested to go back in there and like, you know, kind of figure out how to convey it. Cause it's a pretty, I'm realizing now is a pretty complex story. Um, and I tried to tell it in a way that was a little bit more that relied on nuance more than I thought. Mm-hmm. So I would like to rewrite that, but there's another story that I really want to tell too, that was supposed to be a part of this whole of, of this, of the night. Uh-huh. And, uh, but there just wasn't time for so would your ideal version of the uh, Morgus Buteau shadow show be like a, a two part two parter every time or? Yeah, I think so. Although now the 30 minutes worked pretty well and and I think it would have to be like 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's a lot to think about because there were ages for which this was appropriate. Like there were ages um, that really benefited from the beginning material and then there were. Um, and, and were, were either too scared or like didn't have enough to do with the, with the actual shadow puppet show. Uh And then there were ages that were, that where it was the reverse. And I think you don't get to pick who shows up. Right. Yeah. You can write things on the flyer, but, um, no one, no one reads it. <laughs> like, I think we said six and up for this. And there was a lot of two-year-olds, a lot of two-year-olds. And I'm like, shit. we only had one crier though. That was good. <laughs> I think that's a, a good success rate for sure. I think so too. Um, but, uh, but yes, I think um, maybe it's something where the show changes every, every year. Maybe the show is different on different nights. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to go with, but I I definitely want to keep producing these stories, and hopefully with you. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would love I look forward to our next like uh, uh, our next like musical collaboration. It was very gratifying. Mm-hmm. I've said this to you many times, but like I feel like we would have these long rambling, uh, often inebriated, or should I say lubricated conversations about what what was needed to be there and i got away being like okay we should really probably meet for coffee and have a really productive conversation (laughs) but then everything that we mentioned every i saw everything that i mentioned to you in in the the work itself and then some so (laughs) yeah so i i mean it was very uh i think that like i think there were there were several times where we hadn't brought together the puppets and the illustrated. There were different elements hanging in the air, and it was diff- and 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 we were experiencing the pains of trying to bring them together, and um, and that was the moment in which your music started dropping into the equation, and it just revitalized everything. It was like uh-huh. yes, yes, this is the this 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 is like um, the glue or like something. It was some, it revitalized both of those elements uh, at a time where they really 
we were really starting to burn. I was starting to burn out a little. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the my experience having seen one of the performances was just like walking away, realizing like all of us were sort of working to some extent blind from what the other people <laughs> yeah. were doing. Yeah. And all we kind of had was like the centrifugal force of orbiting your original idea. Yeah. hoping that it would all like land yeah, yeah that's such a great that's such a great image it's so true after after like i think on the second day of rehearsal cammy was like shit man do you think we, we should have watched this before we did this <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yes so i mean yeah that, that is a very that is a very interesting uh it's an interesting way to do it and i think in the future um i mean not that not that i really find anything particularly wrong with the way that this all came together, except that maybe there should have been a third act to our collaboration where we laid out all the elements with enough time before open to change, make changes mm-hmm. and just been like, are these all serving each other? Right. Well, yeah. Well, I'm, I look forward to that process. Uh, and as, as I, do I, yeah, I look forward to future conversations, lubricated and productive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, lubricated and productive. <laughs> if I could, if I could, if I could describe Ian's work method, <laughs> it's lubricated and productive. Uh, <laughs> and I think that pretty much wraps it up for yeah, this yeah, particular conversation, yeah. but thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to swing by and, uh, and have this convo. Thank you for having me. I've been yeah. looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah. Cool.